Welcome to Resting Witch Face, your one-stop hunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and a little bit more. <laughs> I am Grant. Hello, Kobe. I'm Bailey Bennett. Um, should we tell them full transparency that we just did an Instagram live? We did. Hopefully you were one of the plethora of folks that joined us. We really, really loved hearing your comments and questions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but actually, I do know about you because we both had a fucking blast. Yeah, we both had a really good, really, really good time. We both were like, "Yeah, we'll like do it for like 15, 20, (laughs) like maybe thirty minutes, and like forty five minutes." And we were like, "Oh, we should wrap this up. Like, we have to record an episode." (laughs) Yeah, we're recording. It is, it is, uh, you know, it is the nighttime. We have been drinking uh, the wine, but this is our first nighttime recording (laughs) forever. Ever. And I'm truly ever. I was just saying, I was like, Grant, I'm a little bit spooked that we're recording at night. And Grant was like, I'm fucking ready to party. I, I was feel like, okay. I feel, I feel <laughs> like my powers are activating. Yeah. My skin feels clear. Your my vampire. hair feels full. Sure. I'm just my eyesight feels 2020. Get it. Yeah. I'm just ready to party. Great. And talk about Great. something spooky. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm 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 very excited to be here. It's just like I don't normally. <laughs> I'm excited to be here in my own bedroom. <laughs> in my own room. I just, yeah, we don't, I don't normally talk about murder this, this, yes, I do. I talk about murder all the time. Um, but yeah, as we mentioned on our, on our Instagram live, um, we were both away last week, which is why we didn't put out an episode. And Oops. we just, we just wanted to, take, we just wanted to take a little break. It was, it was an intentional no, decision. Not, not at all. Like truly, I, I think that it was like maybe, a week before we both were going out of town mm-hmm. and Bailey texted me and she was like, so what do we do about the fact that <laughs> you're in Miami, I'm in Montreal? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we're on spring break. Yeah, we're on spring break. We'll do an Instagram live, which, you know, it turned out great. But um, yeah, I think we both had a great time on our respective vacations. I feel rested in some ways, stressed in some ways at all the things I missed at work, but it's fine. Um, I, I don't feel rested at all great. because I... I don't know how you feel about the concept of sleep debt. Sleep debt. Have you never heard I don't know. What do you describe it to me? I probably so know. sleep debt. I remember learning about this in like AP Psych in like senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Basically, like if you, so obviously we're supposed to sleep an average of what eight hours a night. Yeah, and if, which so I never one, have. No. <laughs> let's say there's a night that you sleep six hours and so uh-huh. that you're allotted eight. Uh-huh. you rack up those two hours of sleep debt. It's oh. like, and so it's like racking up over time. So when you have the opportunity to sleep more than usual, mm-hmm. you're basically making up for your oh. exhaustion. I mean, I'm years into sleep debt then. So that's not Decades. good. Yeah, for sure. All um, I know is that I have never slept later in my life. Yeah. Than during this week long trip I took. I took a nap every day. Like, I would literally get to, like, 3 p.m. and be like, oh, I can't do it. We and were also day drinking, which doesn't help uh, me stay yeah. awake, but. Tr- truly, and yet, I am I still woke up, like, truly, like, my boyfriend being like, Grant, it's 10.30. It's going to wake <laughs> up. And I was like, oh, what? 
he's like, he's like, literally, it's time to go lie down on the beach. I'm like, I, I can't, can't. <laughs> I can't make it because I have to put suntan lotion on. Yeah, my trip was a, a little different as it was like 45 degrees and raining in Montreal. But <sighs> honestly, my it was element. it was honestly gorgeous. Like I, I loved it so much. We ate so much good food, drank so much great alcohol. And Montreal's where it's at. It's beautiful. Truly. I don't think I didn't do, we didn't do anything spooky but we did see a Cirque du Soleil show which was honestly great um and and I believe that Cirque du Soleil actually started in Montreal so they like it's like a big thing there there was like this Cirque du Soleil means Circus of the Sun yep I got it wow um (laughs) nailed it (laughs) Francophile (laughs) um no but they had like erected a circus tent on oh. in the old like the old port of Montreal and it was like a very like d- dark like a little bit like twisted circus and there was kind of like a um there were like t- there was like a dark a, 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 a like a white princess and a dark princess like kind of like a Glenda and Alphaba vibe seems, why, why could I racial. not come up with it I don't know why I said it like that they were both white women just one of them was like <laughs> of course they were <laughs> um but yeah, there was like there was this one particularly stunning part where they basically like flooded the stage with fake snow, which was just like tiny pieces of tissue paper. Mm-hmm. And then they had a giant fan that they brought out and like stimulated they ate a giant fan. Brought no, oh. they had a giant Uh-oh. fan that they brought out. And they basically like um simulated a snowstorm on the stage. And it was stunning. I believe that. Yeah, it was so good. Anyway. Ooh. Um well, my skin is peeling, so okay. that's where I'm at. Okay, great. So, yeah. Uh, but we're here. Ready we're to here. talk we're th- about spooky stuff. Yeah. Th- there was no spookiness in Miami. Right. Although, I would say, so I was there for five nights. And I want to say four out of the five nights when we were walking around, my boyfriend's mom kept being like, the Versace, like, murder house is, like, one block this way. Like, oh, my God. Consistently, like, every time, she's like, the Versace house is right there. And we never saw it. <laughs> oh. And Full of regrets. Wow. I still haven't seen American Crime Story, but... it's really too bad. I haven't either. Really, really too bad. Speaking of crime, mm-hmm. speaking right. of murder, speaking of mansions, yeah. let's move right along, maybe, to sure. our Badass Bitch of the Week. Let's talk about our Badass Bitch. So, if you were privy to our Instagram Live, mm-hmm. I dropped these names at least <laughs> twice. But I have to throw out at least my Badass Bitches of the Week mm-hmm. to the main cast of Good Girls, which is my Mm -hmm. new favorite TV Mm -hmm. obsession. Mm -hmm. First season is available on Netflix. Second season is currently airing on NBC. Third season is yet to come. Mm -hmm. It has been renewed. Okay, great, great, great. Um, It stars Christina Hendricks, Mae Whitman, and Retta, who are three of my favorite actresses literally of all time. I love how they, and they come from like just such different walks of life in the television world. crazy. You've got Parks and Rec, you've Mm -hmm. got Mad Men, you've got Parenthood. Oh, Parenthood. Tear out my heart. Parenthood's, it's really good. It's really good. I know many women from like Arrest Development. Oh my God, Egg. Lawn Arts View. (laughs) (laughs) Her? Um, It is a a fantastic show. It is the reason I'm so like up in arms about it is mm. because I feel like it really applies specifically to our listener mm-hmm. viewership. Where if you want a good like crime caper comedy, but also like very dark, mm. but also really highlights women mm-hmm. and the the badassery that women go through, especially like moms. It yeah. all focuses on moms yeah. and the things that mothers will do to support their children. Mm. 
I love that. It's stunning. The acting is incredible. Mm, Wow. Particularly, like, seeing Retta in a dramatic role is... Seeing Retta do anything is really... Well, she's fucking brilliant. Was it you who, like, accidentally Snapchatted Retta? Yes. (laughs) How do you remember? Oh, my God. I don't know why I remember that. I did. I did. Oh, my God. Like, 10 years ago. Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Well, Retta, if you're listening... (laughs) Sorry about my butthole. I'm just kidding. Um, but she responded, right? No. Okay, great. No, no I just, it was like back in the day when... <laughs> no. No, it was back in the day when like Snapchat was like a... You could like add celebrities on Snapchat. Yeah, I remember was, that. like when I was like doing like a mass mm. snap. Got it. And um, <laughs> I haven't used Snapchat since like... No, who does? Thoughts. Um, Yeah, I, I haven't checked it out, but I love like... I don't watch a lot of primetime tv anymore but i'm always like really encouraged when there's a show out there on primetime that is really good like the good place where it's like people are just like no legitimately like this is good television and it and i don't think good tv can only come from subscription services at this point like i think Mm -hmm. they're going to be a really good primetime show so it's always encouraging to hear that well that's how i kind of felt because when the show first came out i was like wow this show sounds amazing but Mm -hmm. i I have this residual burn from all the TV shows I've loved that have been canceled. Yeah. All of Veronica Mars, like mm-hmm. Wonderfall is Point Pleasant. Like I can go on and on and on of all the shows. Like I started watching when they're in their first season. Yeah. And getting like, yeah. Reneged. So I waited until it had a second season. I was like, okay, still like, I'm not sure the ratings are bad because I don't know about you, but I have a weird obsession. I check TV ratings. I've done that. I've certainly done that before. I'm a big fan of TVLine.com. Uh huh. Yeah, I've I've been I've been there. Yeah, big fan. Um, and so once I heard it got renewed for a third season, I was like, okay, now we're at least getting a full arc. Mm-hmm. So wait, so the ratings are not good. The ratings aren't amazing, but it's just like a, not a lot of people are watching it. No, I guess I don't know like what the playback is mm-hmm. in terms of. DVR. Where can you watch it? Part of it's on Netflix. Ne- the first season's on Netflix. I think okay. most of the second season is on Hulu. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. But I just, I don't know. There, there's not, I don't really have a bad thing to say about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now we've been devoting way too much of the episode to talking about the show. But fine. check out Good Girls. It's really good. <laughs> it's really diverse. And it's, it's also like, it's showing women who look like women. Yeah. It's, I. Yeah, there's, one, yeah. One Go of the ahead. big things I felt the first time I saw Christina Hendricks on Mad Men was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, we're seeing like a curvy woman who mm-hmm. is like embraces being a curvy woman and like is stunningly beautiful. Like the most gorgeous yes. human being. And she is in prime time form. And yet you never talk about, you don't talk about weight. You don't talk about race. You don't talk, it's just like it's women being women. Yeah. And I think it's so fucking incredible. So I check love out that. Good Girls on. NBC slash Netflix. This is not an ad. Not it's just rant. Like who is full on in his gay fantasy? Like, I love. To, I just want to hang out with these women. Yeah, same. I love that. Really Ugh. quick before we move on, Please. I want to. I want to give like an addendum to a badass bitch that you have done previously. Oh, please. Which is Lizzo. Because Ugh. when you talked about Lizzo, I was like, I don't know who that is. And like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Like, I, I would like to say that I've corrected that situation. And I'm, her new album, now by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be like a little bit. No, I mean, timely. it's, it's like new. been out for like I, a couple I, weeks. I, yeah. But. Because I love you. I, uh, I, uh, I, I was like, I, I truly, I was like, oh, this is like, not, I've never heard anything like this before. 
Like it's that, truly unique. That title track is mm. the sexiest, mm. slinkiest. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just like I started I like I started following her on social media after I like listened to the album and I was like, wow, a woman who fucking loves herself because she should. <laughs> a woman who fucking <laughs> loves herself. That's a little like Moira Rose. Um oh. <laughs> another badass bitch. Have we already talked about Catherine O'Hara? Yes. We have. Um anyway, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that that, that was so wrong of me. To not know about Lizzo. No, and you no, guys should all, no. should all listen to her album because she's climbing the Billboard charts as she should. As she should. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, enough about some positive badass bitches. Now we're going to talk about someone who, you know, you could say she's a badass bitch uh, in a way. Okay. But um, just to dive right into it, I'm going to be talking about Lizzie Borden. Oh! <laughs> Oh, let's. This was. Are you kidding me? No, this was a very. (sighs) To be fair, a a very last last minute decision. Um, I don't feel like a hundred percent prepared, so I'm I'm here for you to be um contributing. So excited (laughs) to this conversation. Fucking shit. (laughs) Okay. Um, let me cross my legs and cross my (laughs) morals. Great, I love that. Um. Yeah, so I'm sure she's someone that we've touched on on this podcast before, but have not talked about fully. And I, it's a case we both know. I didn't know all the Ugh. details of it for sure. Ugh. It's a fascinating one. So love this one. I mean, let's just get into it. I think it goes without saying that I I really uh, leaned into w- Wikipedia this week, and normally I don't, but it just I was like literally like on a plane being like, this is fine. So. I would just like to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> for you listeners out there, that whenever Bailey has a story, she is giving to you fully rewritten content, like with her, thank you, her bitchy flair peppered in there. Thank you. Meanwhile, I'm truly <laughs> just copying, pasting, and flying off the handle. So great. Well, I respect be- you. I I see you. Mm. I hear you. Thank I respect you. you. There's a little bit of that. This I'm week. great. So excited. Great. Great. Let's get into it. So, ah, <laughs> great. So, okay. So, I think it goes without saying. This is probably one of the most notorious murder cases in Massachusetts mm. history, and really, if not the country's history. So, despite it taking place over 125 years ago, it's still a case that that fascinates and haunts people to the point where many are 100 percent convinced of who did the deed. I guess we'll get to it, but I have no opinion on who did the deed. Really? Okay. We'll, we'll, get we'll to see. It. We'll see. So, Lizzie Andrew Borden. Let's just say, love love the middle name Andrew for a woman. <laughs> um, was born on July nineteenth, eighteen sixty, in Fall River, Massachusetts. Grant, do you know where that is by chance? I sure do. Okay, great. I looked it up. Fall River is like South Shore, basically a suburb of Providence. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it seems to be right on the border of Rhode Island. Yes. Also, I, I did unbutton my pants. I don't know if you noticed, but these are very tight I and I'm getting didn't. comfortable. I'm wearing Adidas pants, so I'm great. living my best life. So, okay. So she's, sorry, let's get into it. She's, Please. She is born in Fall River, Massachusetts to Sarah Anthony and Andrew Jackson Borden. 
ever heard of him? President Andrew Jackson. (laughs) Um, Lizzie's father, Andrew, grew up in very modest surroundings. Also, her middle name is named after her father. Yes. Boot. We love. Boot, boot, boot. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, yeah, so her father, Andrew, grew up in rather modest surroundings and struggled financially as a young man, despite being the descendant of wealthy and influential local residents. He eventually prospered in the manufacturing and sale of furniture and caskets, which is some unfortunate foreshadowing, um, and went on to become a successful property developer. He also owned a considerable amount of commercial property and was both the president of the Union Savings Bank and director of the Jervy Safe Deposit and Trust Co., of course. Not of course. Uh, 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 you know, so at the time of his death, his estate was valued at $300,000, which is equivalent to $8,370,000 in 2018. Poor. So, so poor. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, yeah. So like, he was doing. I mean, he was doing well. He was doing well for himself. He was thriving. He was doing his best. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm not trying to. If you have, if you make less than eight million dollars, I'm thinking in a. I don't get out of bed for for less than eight million. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is not a Kardashian society. This is an Andrew Jackson, Borden society. Um, (laughs) So, despite his wealth, Andrew was known for being being very frugal, probably because of his modest upbringing. Um, For instance, the Borden home actually lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, even though that was a common accommodation for wealthy people at the time. He was just like, lights, we don't need them. A toilet. Shit outside, sorry. Got a bucket. Um, So the, the residence at 92 2nd Street, which would later be number 230 after 1896 was located in an affluent area but the wealthiest residents of fall river including andrew's cousins lived in a more fashionable neighborhood called the hill so they're like they're doing well but first but he's like he's kind of almost not living up to his you know tax bracket so lizzie and her older sister emma lenora borden who was born in 1851 had a relatively religious upbringing. And as a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States, which is a nice thing. Um, But three years after the death of Lizzie Borden's mother, Sarah, who died when they were young, um, Andrew, her father, married Abby Durfee Gray. Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother Mrs. Borden and didn't have the most loving close relationship with her i think because like she never really viewed her as her mother like she had she had a mother and she was very upset that her her father had married this woman um and she believed from the beginning that abby had married her father for his wealth um bridget maggie sullivan (laughs) let's be clear maggie is not a nickname for bridget um (laughs) wait what (laughs) her name was bridget but she went by maggie um who was the Borden's 25-year-old live-in maid who had immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland, testified that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents and didn't seem to be a particularly close-knit family. So here's a weird but apparently important detail, or rather a few important details that kind of set the scene for what the family was family vibe was like in, in the Borden house. So in May of 1892... Andrew 
killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, believing that they were attracting attracting local children to hunt them. I mean, pigeons are horrible. Yeah, but sure. But like, I don't know, seems extreme? Seems unnecessary. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and the thing is that Lizzie had recently built a roost for the pigeons. And so it's often said that she was very upset over her father killing all the pigeons. Though that's not actually, that's not like entirely proven. Mm-hmm. But I mean, grounds for murder. What yes. do you, I say, I say yes. I would say um, yes. Additionally, a family argument in July of 1892 prompted both sisters to take extended quote-unquote vacations in New Bedford. After returning to Fall River, actually only about a week before the murders would take place, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the family residence. So something was amiss, okay? They were not happy with each other. So although we don't know all... The details, it seems the tensions were definitely high among the family unit at this time. In fact, it had been growing, this tension had been growing within the family for months before the murders, especially over the fact that Andrew kept gifting real estate to different branches of his family. So after he he had chose to give a house to um, his wife's sister, so their stepmother's sister, Lizzie and Emma then demanded that they receive a rental property of their own. Their stepmother's sister. Yeah, their stepmother's sister. Yeah. Um, So they actually received this rental property, which was the home they had lived in until their mother died. And they purchased it from their father for $1. $1? Yeah. So basically they were like, Daddy, it's not fair that everyone gets a house and we don't get a house. Give us that house. Give us the house. So then he was like, okay, fine, here's a house. But then a few (laughs) few weeks before the murders, the sisters sold the property back to their father for (laughs) $5,000 after purchasing it from him for For $1. And $5,000 is equivalent to $139,000 in 2018. Okay? So not like a great deal for death. (laughs) I'm not doing that math. Um, so weird, weird dynamic happening. Um, the night before the murders, John Morse, who was the brother of Lizzie and Emma's deceased mother, so their uncle, um, visited the Borden home as was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business matters with Andrew. Um, some writers have speculated that their conversation, particularly about property transfer, may have further aggravated Lizzie and her sister, um, adding fuel to this family fire. Still, nothing nothing here to suggest that a very vicious crime was about to take place within the family. But what mm. is... Mm-hmm. Uh... It should also be noted that for several days before the murders, the entire household was violently ill. So a family friend later speculated that mutton left on the stove for use in meals over several days was the cause, which is, I mean, honestly, the most disgusting thing I've ever yeah, heard. Like, so if that if that wasn't the the cause of the sickness, like what? So like a bunch of lamb? Like they left like some meat out on a stove for days at a time. And then they were like, oh, why, why, why does my stomach hurt? Oh, um, but... Abby, the stepmother, feared that they may have been poisoned as Andrew was not a popular man. So, yeah, you know. Okay, so now we arrive almost to the day in question, which was August 4th, 1892. 
John Morse arrived the night before on the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room that night. After breakfast the next morning, um, at which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, Morse, and the, bra- the maid Maggie were all present. So the parents, Lizzie, the uncle, and the maid, not the sister. She was away. Um, they were present at breakfast. So Andrew and Morse went to the sitting room where they chatted for nearly an hour before Morse left around 8.48 a.m. Which, like, sorry, what time were y'all awake? Because (laughs) they had been chatting for an hour and had breakfast when he left at 8.48 a.m. Okay? (laughs) That's unnerving. Call the police just on that. (laughs) Call 911. You're having breakfast at 7 a.m. Police. All of you together. Um, Sorry. So... He, le- he leaves at 8.48 to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River. You know, as you do. As at one the does. butt crack of John. Um, With one ox. <laughs> he was planning to return to the Borden home for lunch around noon. And they said that he left for this morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. I don't... Oh, wait. I'm so sorry. The uncle leaves at 8.48 a.m. The father leaves after 9. Okay, so... Um, although the cleaning of the guest room was usually one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores, on this day, Abby, the stepmother, went upstairs to that room sometime between 9 and 10.30 a.m., which is kind of a big window, um, to, to make the bed. It was here that Abby would meet her violent end. Um, she was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor and creating contusions on her nose and forehead. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the initial attack, so she knows who took her life. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back back of her head, which obviously kills her. Holy shit. So whoever was killing her was pissed. Um, when Andrew returned around 10.30 a.m., his key failed to open the door, so he knocked for attention. Um, Maggie, the maid, went to unlock the door, found that it was jammed. I don't think on, I don't think purposefully, I think the door was just jammed and he couldn't get his key in. Um, and she uttered some expletive at that point. She would later testify that she then heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this. She did not see Lizzie, but stated that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. Which is honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like that. Yucky, 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 yucky. So this was obviously considered significant as Abby would have been dead by this time and her body would have been visible to anyone on the home's second floor. Mm. So if Lizzie was on the second floor, she's, she's aware. Plus, also remember at this time, Lizzie, the maid, and Abby were supposedly the only ones in the house. Mm -hmm. So Lizzie later denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was when he got home. And she had replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Um, Lizzie stated that when her father arrived home, she then removed his boots and helped him into his slippers before he lay down on the sofa for a nap, which is an anomaly that's actually, it's contradicted by the crime scene photos, which clearly show Andrew wearing his boots Ooh. on this, on this. Ooh. Yes. So also like, let's be clear. 
is he really taking a nap approximately like two to three hours after waking up in the morning? Like it's, it's questionable. Super questionable. Um, it's 1030 in the morning. Who's napping? So she then informed um, Maggie of a department store sale and permitted her to go. But Maggie felt unwell and went to take a nap in her bedroom instead, which this is, is a little bit confusing to me because I think her bedroom is on the third floor, but I don't know if she has to pass the second floor to get to her room, but it seems like maybe not because apparently Abby's body would have been visible to everyone on the second floor. Maggie testified that she was in her third floor room resting from cleaning the windows when just before 11, 10 a.m., she heard Lizzie call from downstairs, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Andrew was slumped on the couch in the downstairs sitting room, struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyeballs had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when attacked i mean also but like good does that suggest that why i don't know but also like why does the eyeball I, why does the eyeball have to be involved attacked? i know just leave that eyeball <laughs> um his still bleeding wounds suggested a very recent oh. attack obviously okay. um detectives estimated his death to have occurred at approximately 11 a.m so when she's asked where her stepmother is, I guess at this point by Maggie, she says that she, that Abby got a note asking her to visit a sick friend. However, she also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone would go upstairs and look for her. So Maggie and a neighbor named Mrs. Churchill went, went upstairs to look and they're like halfway up the stairs, their eyes level with the floor when they looked into the guest room and they saw Abby lying face down on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's so scary. Um, so when the, the police started questioning Lizzie, who, by the way, was um, 33 at the time, a lot of her answers came across as strange and contradictory. So, for example, she initially reported hearing a groan, um, a scraping noise, or a dis- distress call before entering the house, claiming that she had not been in the house when this was all mm-hmm. happening um but just two hours later when she's talking to police she told them that she hadn't heard anything and she'd entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong most of the officers who interviewed lizzie reported that they disliked her attitude which i mean isn't really relevant as we've talked about like people react and grieve in different ways but mm-hmm. um some said that she seemed too calm and poised um however Despite her her strange demeanor and her changing alibis, nobody bothered to check her for bloodstains. Of course not. Of course not. Why would they? Um, which, like, I I have to assume if you killed multiple people with a hatchet, you'd you would be like drenched in blood. So I'm wondering. Well, one would think. Right. So I'm I'm wondering if it's implied that she she could have like quickly changed before anyone saw her or the police even arrived, but she easily could have still had like traces of blood on her if anyone had bothered to take a look police did search her room but it was only like a cursory check they didn't look thoroughly at the trial they admitted to not doing a proper search because lizzie said that she wasn't feeling well oh. which i'm like um my stomach hurt <laughs> they were subsequent can't, can't be fair <laughs> yeah, murder. like oh she's ha- i'm happy she's having her woman troubles we must go um there were subsequently 
criticized for their lack of diligence. Can you believe? Shocking. So in the basement, police find two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. And Weird. They suspected that the hatchet head is the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh and all that there was like ash and dust on the head that appeared to have been like deliberately put there to make it look like the hatchet head had been in the basement for a long time. Oh, weird. Yes. So, however, (laughs) none of these tools were removed from the house. Of course. Of course. They just leave them. Why would they take them? Well, they need them. (laughs) They're going to need those. Um, so Andrew and, okay, here's, here's another fun detail. Andrew and Abby's autopsies were conduct, conducted in where? Oh, the Borden family dining room. Oh, (laughs) I feel like, um, like you know, no, 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 in, inside the house, um, their stomachs were removed and check for poison because of this illness that had, like, befallen the family. I'm like, oh, God, you were, like, murdered <laughs> with, like, 40,000 wax of I know. Eggs. Let's check your stomach for poison. I know. Um, but I, apparently they didn't find any trace of poison in their stomach. Oh, weird. So Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell, decided to stay with them the night following the murders. And I just want to say clearly she's, I don't know, the greatest friend in this world because... I have to tell you right now, Grant, if two people were mysteriously murdered in your apartment, I I actually would not be volunteering to spend the night there with you right after. I just want right after, just like not at all, like adjacently after, but not right. I yeah, I mean, who's to say? Um, Morris, the uncle, also spent the night in the attic guest room. Although some people, some later accounts say that he slept in the murder site guest room, but apparently that's untrue. Like, we we can only hope, but regardless, this is a crime scene and they're all living in it. They're just, stay. it's fine, you know? Um, they had police stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer claimed to see Lizzie enter the cellar with her friend Alice, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slot bucket. The officer stated that he saw both women exit the cellar, after which... Lizzie returned back to the cellar alone. Although he was unable to see what she was doing, he stated it appeared that she was bent over a sink. But of course, did he bother to check that out? No. No. Why why would he check that out? Why would you? No. So on August 5th, Morse, the uncle, leaves the house and is swarmed by hundreds of police to the point that police had to escort him back to the house because by this time, the story is becoming a media frenzy and sending the town into a panic or like a witch hunt of them trying to figure out what's going on. Um, also, wow. I really love this headline from fall river Herald at the time, which mm-hmm. is a local newspaper quote, shocking crime, a venerable citizen and his aged wife hacked to pieces in their home. So just like even like in her how, dying moments, yeah. like she's being brutally murdered. How old we, is that? We have we have to refer to her as an aged wife. Was she a, like thirty three? Like <laughs> no, no, that's Lizzie. <laughs> the parents are older. What like forty five? Like, yeah, seriously, it's like, like it's like. But he's the he's the venerable citizen, and oh. she is aged. Um, which we love. Same. Yeah, I, <laughs> tell me about it. And thrive. So on August. <laughs> on August sixth. 
um, mm. police conducted a more thorough search at the house. So just a couple days later, they were like, you know what? Let's take a look. They inspected the sister's clothing and confiscated, finally, the broken-handled hatchet head that they believed to be the burner weapon the oh, whole time. Wow. Um, meanwhile, obviously, people had been living in the crime scene. Also, can I say something? Please. How come with so many axe murders, mm-hmm. the murder weapon is the axe, but not the blade aspect? It is the blade aspect, but... So I was going to like touch on this because I think it's weird too. They're basically, I think they're talking, the hatchet head is like just the blade of the axe mm-hmm. and the, and the, the like the shaft blunt end or like the handle is missing, yeah. I believe. So like what they say later is that they, they think like, oh, the handle was removed because it was covered in blood and like discarded of, but it's like, why wouldn't you just get rid of the whole thing? I know, but I've heard, I've heard so many times in terms of like murder scenes where mm-hmm. it's like they've been like beaten to death with an axe but not the blade part the like oh part. i see what you're saying i don't understand i i mean i don't know I mean, <laughs> logistically why you would do that i don't know i think it's it's like i think that the i don't know the blade end seems so messy yeah i don't know i mean like I either I way know. anyway so they remove the murder, murder weapon um that evening, a police officer and the mayor of the town visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was then informed that she was a suspect in the murders. The next morning, her friend Alice entered the kitchen to find Lizzie tearing up a dress. She explained hmm. that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it was never determined whether it was the dress. Uh, <laughs> I hate that. It was never determined whether it was the dress that she had been wearing on the day of the murders, because apparently detectives in this town just really love ignoring evidence. Um, they just didn't check. So on August 8th, Lizzie appeared at the inquest hearing for the case. Her request to have her family attorney present was, was refused under a state statute providing that an inquest be held in private. So I guess at that time there was like no right to counsel. Like I really I don't know things about the law. Unclear. Um, which does seem like a you know it's a little suspect. She had been prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves at the time, and it's possible that her testimony was affected by this. So her behavior was supposedly erratic, and she often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be beneficial to her. Um, she contradicted herself a lot and she was providing alternate accounts of the morning in question, such as claiming to have been in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, then claiming to have been in the dining room doing some ironing, and then claiming to have been coming down the stairs when he arrived. Um, she had also claimed <clears throat> to have removed her father's boots and put slippers on him, despite the police photographs showing that he was still wearing the boots, as we said before. So... The district attorney was very aggressive and confrontational to her, to a woman who was, to be fair, a murder suspect, but also who had no one to defend her in this, like, state of panic during this inquest. So um, on August 11th, Borden was served with a warrant of arrest, and she was put in jail. So the inquest testimony, which... um, which is the basis for the modern debate regarding her guilt or innocence, was later ruled inadmissible at her actual trial in June 1893, possibly because of the reasons we just listed where she's alone with this, like, aggressive district attorney. But, like, also... mm. Mm. During the inquest, 
Newspapers said that Lizzie possessed a, quote, stolid demeanor and, quote, bit her lips, flushed, and bent toward Attorney Adams, which is like... Like, same. Okay, okay, so like a normal human acts at any time. Um, it was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had, quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. So... The inquest received significant press attention, um, and a grand jury began hearing evidence on November 7th, and then Borden was indicted on December 2nd. So, Borden's trial took place in New Bedford starting uh, June 5th, 1893. Coincidentally, five days before the trial started, on June 1st, Another axe murder actually occurred also really? in Fall River. Are you kidding me? Yes. So this time the victim was a woman named Bertha Manchester who was oh. found hacked to death in her kitchen. So the similarities between these two murders were obviously striking and noted by jurors at the time. However, a Portuguese inter- immigrant named Jose Correa de Mello would later, de Mayo, I don't know, sorry, would later be convicted of this murder in 1894. So, and he was determined to not have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. Hmm. So, I don't know if we can definitively say that, that the two murders weren't linked, but it does seem like the Borden family was an isolated incident that just happened to be around the same time. A prominent point of discussion in the trial, or at least in the press coverage of it, was this hatchet head found in the basement that we've been talking about, which was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to be the murder weapon. So prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood, like I said. But I'm I'm not totally clear on like what this weapon looks like or why th- why this would have happened because... As I said, if the handle was covered in blood, I don't understand why you would just remove the handle instead of getting rid of the whole thing. Truly. Like, it seemed like someone was trying to cover their tracks but doing a bad job of it. I don't really know. But apparently one officer testified that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, but another officer contradicted this. So we really can't say. Um, As we've seen, these people... They were, they were not going to ask further questions um, about anything important. So, n- although no bloody clothing was found at the scene, Alice, the friend, did testify on August 8th uh, that, she had, that, uh, that she had witnessed on August 8th Lizzie burnt, uh, ripping up and then burning a dress in the kitchen, claiming that she had ruined it when she brushed against wet paint. So either way, I mean, this doesn't look great for for Lizzie, (laughs) for sure. Um, During the course of the trial, the defense never attempted to challenge that claim that Alice had seen her do that. So it kind of means that that probably happened. Lizzie's presence at the home was also a point of dispute during the trial. So this part gets a little bit confusing in the timeline. But according to the testimony, Maggie, the maid, entered the second floor of the home around 1058 and left Lizzie and her father downstairs, which again, wouldn't she have seen the body? I don't know, but she's upstairs right before 11 AM. Lizzie told several people that at this time, she then went out into the barn and she said she wasn't in the house for 20 minutes or possibly half an hour at this time. Hmm. Um, some, someone named Hyman Lubinsky God bless his soul. Oh, well. 
um, testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie Borden leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m. And Charles Gardner, a neighbor, I guess, um, also confirmed this time. So I don't know what these <laughs> two men were doing, that they were clocking the exact moment she walked out of the barn, but allegedly that's what happened. At 11.10 a.m. is when Lizzie called Maggie downstairs and told her that Andrew had been murdered. She ordered her not to enter the room, but instead um, sent her to get a doctor. So I guess what this is suggesting is that although Lizzie claimed she was outside during this time, it's likely that within this like seven minute window between like when she supposedly left the barn at 11.03 and called Mackie downstairs at 11.10 is probably when she killed her father. Both victims, God, both victims' heads were removed during autopsy and their skulls were admitted as evidence to the trial and presented in court on June mm. 5th, 1893, which is does. horrible. Um, upon seeing them in the courtroom, Lizzie fainted, which I guess, you, <laughs> I guess you could say, like, some people were probably like, oh, she's sque like, she fainted at the sight of her, of her parents' <laughs> skulls. Like, maybe she didn't commit this murder, but... There are a lot of other reasons one might faint upon being presented with their father's head in a court of law, I would say. Um, furthermore, there was actually evidence that Lizzie had sought to purchase prussic acid purportedly for cleaning a sealskin coat from a local drugstore on the day before the murders. But it, that, that detail was excluded from the case because the judge ruled that the incident was too remote in time to have any connection, being hmm. a few days before. I don't know. Um, but prussic acid, by the way, is also known as hydrogen cyanide and could be used for poisoning. So I think if you're really jumping to conclusions, you might say she had purchased this as an attempt to poison her parents a few days before, which is why they all got sick. And then when that didn't work, finished off the job. But it all I can't tell from the research, but it also kind of sounds like Everyone in the house was sick. So, like... I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so quiet. <laughs> I'm so riveted. It's this okay. Is so, it's fine. No, it's... it's. I mean... Wow. There's a lot. There's a lot going there's on. so much. But I think that... I think that kind of makes... That makes some sense in my mind where, like, it seems like a much easier feat to, to decide, like, I'm going to poison my parents rather than hack them to death. But I think, like, if you were at a point where you're like, I need to get rid of them and it didn't work, yeah. maybe that could push you over the edge. Maybe. But, like, that... So that detail was not allowed in court. So... Oh, my God. I don't know. So the, the presiding associate judge, Justin Dewey, delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense as his charge to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 1893. After... Only an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury of all men acquitted Lizzie of the murders, which is like, which we know that, I mean, like we know that happened, but it's like, that's, that's it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Like I, I guess the evidence was pretty circumstantial. I mean, it sounds like they bungled this case so much. <laughs> like they just they like, really, they really shat really right on that case. They did. I mean, they didn't collect any evidence. So like, I don't know how you could really convict, but at the same time, like a jury of all men convicting a woman in the 1800s would not be surprising to me. Yeah. Um, but 
So upon exiting the courthouse, Lizzie told reporters that she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world, which, like, I bet you were. That's tough. So although she was acquitted of the trial, Lizzie remains the prime suspect in her father and stepmother's murders to this day. So, I I mean, yeah. Writer Victoria Lincoln proposed in 1967 that Lizzie might have committed the murders while in a fugue state, which involves like psychosis and amnesia. And I don't know how real that is. Um, But another prominent theory suggests that Lizzie might have actually been physically and sexually abused by her father, which drove her to commit the crimes. There's not really there's like little evidence to support this. Um, I think like to be fair, it wouldn't incest wouldn't really have been a topic they would have like discussed at the time. I'm sure they would have buried it if it were the case, but it's just like, it's just a theory. Um, That was apparently some local papers at the time were like supporting this theory. There's also a mystery author named Ed McBain in his 1984 novel, Lizzie, suggested that she might have committed the crimes after being caught in a lesbian tryst with Maggie, which is the whole premise of that that film that came out last Mm -hmm. year um, with Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart, which I don't think we saw. Although I'm sure we talked about it and said we were going to see it. (laughs) We sure did. Did not see. Um, Didn't see that. Uh, but you know, God, I'm I'm sorry I've been so quiet. No, I mean, it's like fine. so riveted. Uh, no, I love that. What Thank a you. great story. <laughs> are, are you done? I mean, or? no, I'm not done. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so that was he was speculating that Abby, the stepmother, had caught Lizzie and Maggie together and had reacted with like horror upon seeing this, and that then Lizzie had killed her in a rage with the hatchet, and then um, when Andrew saw that this had happened, like, then she had to kill him, like, all of, all of that. Um, but also, like, that's not, that there's not that much evidence to support that either, but apparently Lizzie was rumored to be a lesbian later in her life, but Maggie went on to marry a man, which doesn't mean anything, like, they could have no, definitely but... still been together, but I think it's a little bit like a, <laughs> a romanticized version of things. Um, totally. It's entirely possible, though. Um, others noted some other potential suspects of the crimes, including Maggie, which I think this is so funny. They're like, possibly in retaliation for being ordered to clean the windows on a hot day, which I'm like, um, probably not cause for murder. Probably not. Um, but, um, a a man named William Borden, who is suspected to be Andrew's illegitimate son was also noted as a possible suspect by writer Arnold Brown. But, um, and that he had tried and failed to extort money from his father. But upon doing extensive research on this, they were never able to prove that that was Andrew Borden's son. I don't know who that person is. Um, It's like also her sister had an alibi and was about 15 miles away at the time. Hmm. (laughs) Well, that's why it's so fascinating. Yeah. Everyone has an alibi. There's no other suspects. Yeah, completely. Um, Yeah. The only other prominent suspect would have been uncle who was who was there at the time because um, he had slept in the house that night before the murders. And according to law enforcement, had provided a, quote, absurdly perfect and over detailed alibi for the death of Abby Borden. But I don't know that that means like you're guilty. It seems like he was I mean, he was away from the house at the time. And I think people can attest, attest to that fact. Okay. I don't know. Um 
yeah so i mean like after the trial the sisters moved into like this big house in the hill neighborhood of fall river um she changed her name to lisbeth and they're you know they're trying to move past this but people you know she has this reputation for the rest of her <laughs> life obviously um that sucks she's ostracized Sorry. by the society i don't know what to tell you um and then in, in 1905, shortly after an argument over a party that uh, Emma, her sister, moved out of the house and they never saw each other again. So, oh, I don't know. Wow. This family, like, does, like, fights a lot. This, this family has a mess. Uh, yeah, she... Has a mess. Is <laughs> yeah, a mess. is a mess. Um, <laughs> Borden was ill in her last year following the removal of her gall- gallbladder and died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927. Funeral details were not published and few attended. Her sister died nine days later. Um, at the time of her death, Borden was worth over $250,000, which is equivalent to $4,839,000 in 2018. Because um, she like she basically got the inheritance from her parents because it was like both of them are dead. Um, but yeah, basically, I really liked this quote from um, a scholar named Anne Schofield who says, quote, Borden's story has tended to take one or the other of two fictional forms, the tragic romance and the feminist quest. As the story of Lizzie Borden has been created and recreated through rhyme and fiction, it has taken on the qualities of a popular American myth or legend that effectively links the present to the past. So I really like that idea of like these, t- like, these two narratives that people would give this case are this, this like lesbian romance or mm-hmm. her being like, you know, on this feminist quest, like to defeat her attacker. Like, I don't know. And they're both kind of like not supported. So it's, it's hard to say, but I mean, um, just to wrap things up today, the Borden home, um, continues to, to be a mainstay for, for like paranormal shows, historical shows. And it is open to the public as a bed and breakfast. (laughs) So, um, I, I found this, (laughs) really cute article on a site called new England today. Um, and it's written by Allison Horrocks and she and her husband stayed at the, or they traveled to the bed and breakfast and they said, um, although the furniture and decor is not original to the house, great care has been taken to create a perfect Victorian setting, the pieces of furniture made famous by the crime scene photos have been replaced by near replicas, making the site all the more chilling. Oh my God. They said, uh, they said um, let's go right now. I know we have to go. She goes, the ca- the tour was casual and well done, and I was surprised at how much free reign we were given to explore. We were even encouraged to lie on the settee, settee recreating the crime scene for a macabre photo opportunity. Uh, <laughs> like, as cool. one does. Um, she says the violent quote, the violent nature of the Borden murders has led many to believe that the house is a hotbed of paranormal activity and the tour guides willingly recount their own experiences or those of others. Our guide Deb, who is also a paranormal investigator has had her own experience of being touched by an unseen hand, a feeling a tug on her shirt and hearing whispers spoken in her ear. Others have claimed to hear children giggling in the attic bedrooms, which I don't think any kids lived there, but okay. Um, and yes, you can say the night is in the house as would be suggested by the fact that it's a bed and breakfast. Um, and you can in fact stay in the guest room where Abby was murdered. Oh my God. So 
We'll be oh going. My God. That's pretty much the whole story. I just, we'll be going in like 2022. We'll be going. To, <laughs> great. Sorry, I just talked for so long, but. I'm sorry, I did not interrupt you. It's okay. Um, yeah, so that's a really, it's a fascinating case. I mean. Like the most fascinating. I feel like the more I, I looked, it. the more I looked into it, the more I was kind of just like. It's dark and it's like spirally. And yeah. You did such a good job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, but I'm also just like, she definitely did it. Like, how is, there's like no, yeah. there's no way she didn't, you know, maybe just a it's, fight. It's messy. It just, but it's just like, it's weird to me that it took place like in the morning when people were just like kind of going about their day. Like it's, it's not like, it wasn't like in the heat of the moment, kind of a night. Oh, I don't no, know. She knew what she was doing. She, that's what I think too. Like, I think she, I think it was a little bit, at least a little bit premeditated, but. Oh, uh. Definitely. <laughs> um, you you want to complain for a second? I would sec? love to complain. <laughs> I would love to complain about the fact when you make a reservation somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you have <laughs> forty five emails and Instagram notifications? Like, oh, like they text messages. Yeah, they're like constantly texting you to be like, please like, confirm. Hi. Like. Can you please confirm you're going here like in 20 minutes? I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm here. Like, I'll be there. <laughs> I truly like when we were down in Miami. Like Brian got like my boyfriend like got got a phone call like as we were en route to a restaurant, being like, just making sure you're coming. <laughs> like, yep, yep, we're, we're here. <laughs> No, it's like it's the it, whole restaurant's empty. Yeah, yep, it's, we're here. Yeah, it's like I love when you get the emails that are like, "Your reservation is it's almost here. It's coming up." It's like they're like, "Yeah, it's like it's okay. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm going to dinner. Um, but I'm just going to dinner. So it's like but not a flight. Sure, like, <laughs> make sure it's connected. Everything is <laughs> confirmed. Yeah. No, you're you're very. That's very true. <laughs> you're you're so welcome. Uh, what do I? Oh, well, we just traveled, so I want to fly. I, I need to, do I need to complain about my flight for two seconds? Sure. Um, it's not even about the f <laughs> how many times have we done this? It's not even about the flight part, but no, we were on. I mean, the flight from Montreal to New York is like truly an hour, so it wasn't an like hour? It's, it's so quick. Thank God. But it's That's like so nice. I know we have to go back, but the <laughs> so it's like it's not it was not like a hard flight, but. We were on a small plane and they changed our gate like two or three times. Mm. So people were like, you know, a little bit annoyed and our flight was delayed a little bit. And when we finally got on, they were like, there's not a lot of overhead space. So like, please check your bag if you can, like put as much as you can under your seat, blah, blah, blah. And we were sitting in our row and the, there was like this girl sitting in front of us. There was like, the, there was no overhead space. It was so small and everyone had like their carry-on bags. And she places a canvas bag with like a single laptop in it Com it's like a completely like just a flat canvas bag and she takes up like an entire space in the overhead bin and people kept Ugh. coming by her that were seated near her to be like oh i there's nowhere to put my bag and like a couple people tried to move it and she was like oh that's mine um that's mine and she, she literally goes to one woman she was like um yeah, that's fine, but like, I don't think your bag's gonna fit there anyway. And I was like, honey, what? <laughs> and finally, like, a flight attendant came over and was like, what is, whose is this? And she was like, it's mine. And he was like, 
okay, can you put it under your seat? Like it's a single canvas. Like it's it's, it's like a, a tote bag that you would carry to like a cafe. And she was like, I mean, is there somewhere else you can put it? I was like, honey, she was, she, there was nothing under, she had, she had her phone in her hand and nothing under her seat. I was like, I'm sorry. This, this flight is completely yeah. full and no one has anywhere to put their bags. Like, can you, why? 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 Every <laughs> flight full. I, that's the thing. I was like, can you just make more overhead bin space? Like, that would be awesome. But I was just like. Because we checked our bags mm, and. I hate checking There was bags. so many <laughs> spots. Yeah, no, I never check my bags because I don't want to fucking wait at the carousel after. But um, yeah, I was just really annoyed by that per- particular woman. <laughs> God, I hope that woman has supreme diarrhea. Oh, and I hope that all of you who are listening <laughs> to this episode has the opposite of that. No diarrhea at all. I would love and that for I you. Hope you subscribe to um, Resting Much Face, our podcast, our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, rate, review, and subscribe. We love when you leave us shit. We love it. Um, and I hope we can do it and scream live again. We will. We had a really fun time. Um, we had a blast. Yeah, I, we really appreciate you guys listening. Sorry for everyone who didn't hear it. Um, but yeah, we'll do another one. Please, you know, DM us on Instagram. Give us suggestions for whatever. Email us at rwfpodcast.gmail.com. All the usual stuff. Um, it's pretty late. I think we're going to. I think we're going to get to bed yeah. uh, now that we're feeling all, all spooked and murdered out. Um, bye, bye, bitches. bitches. <laughs>